0: sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 6am run podcast. I am your host, Mark Pazan. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. I hope you are having a great start to your 2024. Um, I hope you're having better weather than us in Georgia. It's been rainy and cold, uh, and I hear that that is actually a good thing compared to the Midwest and the Northeast. But um, I'm sure our guest today has no idea what bad weather is. He's in LA or Maybe he does. I don't know. Well, the earthquakes. But as always, this show is brought to you by 6amrun and 6amrun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So, our guest today is Sam Mandel. It's M A N D E L if you're looking him up online. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things that I don't think people talk about enough. Like, we definitely haven't talked about it much on this show, but. Without further ado, I will let Sam introduce himself. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go introduce yourself for our audience?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, My name is Sam Mandel. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Ketamine Clinics Los Angeles, and we're one of the first ketamine clinics in the country. started about 10 years ago, and we provide IV infusions of ketamine for mental health and some other treatments as well.
0: Well, thank you so much for explaining that. And I, I, I'm sure a question you get all the time, of course, is what is ketamine infusion therapy. But I, I'll be honest with you; like, I'm going to dumb it down even more than that. Really, for me, what exactly is ketamine itself?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great that's a great question. And I wouldn't even consider dumbing it down. I'd say let's start with the basics, you know, because uh, that is something that I, I often will start with. And um, can't have ketamine therapy without ketamine. So, ketamine is an FDA approved anesthetic. Uh, it was synthesized in the 60s. It was FDA approved in the 1970s. So, this is actually an old drug. It's been around for a long time. Uh, it's been used primarily as an anesthetic, one of the most widely used in the world. It's also used in veterinary medicine. So, some people know of it as a horse tranquilizer or a cat tranquilizer, but uh, they're not aware. A lot of people are not that it's actually an FDA approved medicine for humans. There's actually a lot of uh, medicines that are used uh, on both humans and other, other animals, <laughs> if you want to think of us as that, uh, which we by and large are. Uh, and it's also an analgesic, a pain reliever. Uh, it's also a drug that people use recreationally, so it might be known as Special K or, or some other nickname. And I say all that to say that it's a ubiquitous drug. It's got a lot of different uses, and depending on how you first heard about it, you might be convinced that that is the whole story. That some of these other applications are, are wrong. But in fact, it's just versatile and, and it has many uses. So, uh, and they're not all equal, I should say. So, it's, you know, its use as an anesthetic has been, you know, exponentially higher than, say, its use as a, as a street drug. But um, it does have that, uh, that application. And in the last 25 years or so, it's been very consistently proven. Through scientific research, as really one of the fastest acting and highest quality antidepressants uh, available. And all these different uh, uses of it are in uh, different quantities and different routes of administration. So, the way that the drug is given, right, whether it's through an IV infusion or an IM intramuscular injection or an oral pill that you would swallow or intranasal spray that you would spray up the nose or a sub lingual, troche or lozenge that would dissolve under the tongue, it can be taken really any which way you could take any medication. And the way that it's taken, the amount that's taken over what period of time, your mindset, the setting that you're in, these are the really critical differentiators between one use and another, and between safety and efficacy and the outcome that you're seeking. So we specialize in the IV infusion route of administration. That's what's primarily proven, more than 90% of the research has been on that route. And that's the primarily proven uh, method for treatment of depression, PTSD, suicidality, anxiety, and other mental health conditions as well. And it really is among the fastest acting, safest and most effective, if not the most effective for most patients in the world um it's an amazing treatment we've been doing it for a decade we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary it's one of the first clinics in the country to offer this treatment at ketamine clinics los angeles which is the name of our practice and i'm happy to be here to answer all your questions and tell people more about it today
0: and that sounds great and and congratulations on the 10 years i I know uh in any uh, profession doing it for 10 years is, is great. So congrats on that. Thank and, you. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned it's a, it's a drug. And, and first of all, let's, let's the cats out of the bag. Like people hear that word and some of them get scared off. Uh, is there, is there an, uh, an addiction quality that can people get addicted to this? If they take it incorrectly, if it's not done safely, can people, you know, have that addiction like any other, drug that's out there right now?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think it's really important to distinguish just because something is used, you know, recreationally doesn't mean that it's addictive. Um, In the same way that opioids are addictive, that benzodiazepines like Xanax are addictive, the way that alcohol or nicotine are addictive. I mean, these drugs can really cause a physical dependency and you can become ill and in some cases even die if you abruptly stop taking them. That is not the case for ketamine. So some people do use it as a means of escape in the same way that you can use uh, ice cream or chocolate or sex or any number of activities as a means of escape, Uh, you know, racing on a racetrack, you know, Um, you can avoid things uh, with it, but it is not something that you become addicted to.
0: So you mentioned, and I appreciate you getting into that, you mentioned the benefits of you know, mental health and, and antidepressants, things like that. Are there any, and anybody, I, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but anybody who's been depressed or suffered from things, like they know the physical ailments that go along with it, but is there any just specific physical ailments that ketamine works on also?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we're mostly focused on mental health, but it's really good for CRPS. Complex regional pain syndrome. It's very good for, for neuropathic pain. That's a neuropathic pain condition. Uh, it was formerly known as RSD, reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Uh, there's some other neuropathic pain that responds very well to IV infusions of ketamine, uh, trigeminal neuralgia, certain types of uh, you know cluster headaches or migraines. Um, those are the primary. I'm thinking think of off the top of my head. I mean, we've seen some uh, issues from Lyme disease. we've treated with it so you know there's a there's a wide variety of different types of pain that can be attributed to neuropathic pain and that's the type of pain that's good and i distinguish that from more um acute anatomic pain where there's an actual issue such as a slipped disc or um, you know uh, uh, some something that maybe someone requires surgery for or they have an injury they're healing from there's going to be some pain there. The ketamine will relieve it if you're t- while you're taking it, but it will when that ketamine wears off, which it does rather quickly, the pain will return, just like Tylenol or ibuprofen or something, right? It's a very short uh, duration of relief you get. The difference between that and a neuropathic pain condition or even a mental health condition is that ketamine can actually cause really meaningful changes in the brain that can produce long-lasting benefits that last long after the medicine is out of the body. So that's one of the exciting things about ketamine is it actually can can promote uh, really important structural changes in the brain that are lasting. So it's not like pretty much almost every other medication we've ever seen for really anything is you take it every day. When you stop taking it, it stops working. It ha- has to have that blood level. And oftentimes with antidepressants, it takes you know weeks or months to to build up a therapeutic blood level that's the right med and the right dose for you. And it's a really tedious and and complex process and it's kind of trial and uh, a lot of trial and error and guesswork. Whereas with ketamine, it works very reliably 83% of the time for mental health, about 70% of the time for pain, uh, regardless of the condition uh, that we're treating, regardless of the person's
0: background.
1: And it's just very, very effective.
0: And, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Thank you for mentioning that because, uh, you know, from personal experience and people I've talked to about those, I mean, the doctors tell you those first two weeks of, of many antidepressant, you know, medications you get on, they, they tell you it takes a while for it to actually start kicking in and working. And that can be a tough two weeks, three weeks, a month, however long it takes. So, so that is definitely good to know. Um, who would you say... In your professional opinion or personal opinion for, for that, uh, for, for any reason, honestly, is the best suited or a person who would do well with any type of ketamine treatment. Well, first
1: and foremost, I would say anybody who has treatment-resistant depression or another mental health condition that's treatment-resistant. Treatment-resistant just simply means that you tried and not benefited from at least two or more fair trials of treatment. So that you know, could be two two different antidepressant pills, or you know, talk therapy and antidepressants. Some people try even things like TMS or ECT or other you know um, uh, other modalities, and they, they get little benefit or no benefit. So if you don't get a reasonable benefit. From at least two or more than uh, treatments then you you could be considered treatment resistant um, that's an obvious one and you don't need to be treatment resistant in order to benefit but uh, that's definitely i would say the first group and you know there's not a lot of um, contraindications for treatment so if you first and foremost we do require a diagnosis so somebody has to have been diagnosed with a mental health condition, or if not, I mean, we can do that evaluation, a psychiatric evaluation and assess that because uh, we have psychiatrists on staff, uh, but we do require a diagnosis. So that, that comes, you know, first. And then, you know, if you haven't tried a bunch of stuff, maybe you didn't want to take pills. Maybe you felt like they were not a good fit for you for some reason. Um, you like a more kind of alternative or holistic view of these things. Ketamine could be a potentially first line treatment for you. It could be a starting point. Generally, we see a lot of people who come to us after having tried a lot of other stuff. Ketamine is quickly moving up the ladder, if you will, of becoming more of a first-line treatment where people are realizing, why am I gonna waste time and money and energy and do side effects of less effective things when I can just start at you know, what's what's really working best? The thing is, there's still a little bit of stigma around ketamine. It's a relatively newer um, modality or relatively newer use for this old drug. And also, uh, it's typically not covered by insurance. And the patent is up. It's a cheap generic drug. So the margins are, are low. And so pharmaceutical companies are marketing high margin drugs and the new drugs that are getting approved because that's where the money is. And that's what they're pitching to the doctors. And that's what insurance is paying for. So the patients are typically getting fed those drugs. And it really takes a little bit more of self-advocating and inquiry on the patient's end to come to this treatment. And virtually everyone who does is very, very glad that they did. So we have an 83% success rate. It's very high. It's not perfect. It's not a great fit for every person. It's not magic, but it is a really, really powerful treatment. And as far as contraindications, we don't treat patients who are actively manic or hypomanic uh, if they have bipolar disorder. We don't, the, bipolar depression can respond very well, but just not during the, in the midst of a, of a manic episode. So that patient needs to be stabilized first. Uh, we don't see, um, uh, you know, patients with psychosis. Uh, we don't see homicidal patients. Other than that, there's not a lot of exclusion criteria. I mean, we assess, you know, the clinical team will assess patients on a, on a case-by-case basis, but generally speaking, there's not a lot that would exclude someone. If, as I said, they have a condition, they want to try this, we've educated them on the, on the risks, benefits, you know, pros, cons, et cetera, reviewed their options. They want to do this, they can do it. And um, it's really a good choice for most
0: people. And would you say, it? Uh, what kind of effects or are, are, are there any effects like on, on younger people, teenagers or maybe younger, are they able to get on this type of medication or treatment or is that something we don't really have a lot of data on yet?
1: Yeah, so we have treated some children. Uh, Our youngest patient was nine. Our oldest patient was 94. Everything in between, men, women, um, all different backgrounds. Generally, we focus on the 18 to 65 year old population. I'd say the majority of our patients are probably 18 to 50. Um, But it's very safe and effective for children. They obviously require a higher level of care and Our position is that if someone is old enough to have been diagnosed with a condition and to have struggled with it and not benefited from these alternative, uh, not alternative, but not benefited from these, I should say, more conventional approaches, then an alternative one like this is definitely a good option to explore. And actually, ketamine is very, very safe medicine. And uh, it's the number one uh, anesthetic in pediatric cases for being used for sedation for surgery because of how safe it is
0: and what and and i appreciate all this and this is great information and if 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 my questions uh seem like they're coming from a place of ignorance they really are like i'm (laughs) trying i'm trying to learn as much as i can right now you know I, i i and i'm i'm glad i'm able to talk to you so um When someone goes in for this treatment, what are and I'm sure, you know, your your patient is not a monolith. People have different um, walks of life, different symptoms, all that stuff. But what are some of the immediate and then lasting feelings someone will get starting this program or does it depend on diet, weight, sex, gender, all that stuff? Or is it pretty consistent across the board?
1: So what what are some of the the feelings they'll get from the treatment?
0: Yeah, so once they once they go in um, and start the like say it's my first and you say this is all intravenous and and done that way, um, is there kind of a a a feeling that comes over them? Is it pain relief? Is it feeling shifting? Like do you do people have kind of give you? their feelings right right after they start their first initial treatments or, or even when they come back and they've done it for a while?
1: Yeah, you know, it's different. Uh, feelings will come up for different people and at different times and even from one infusion to the next. So I, I couldn't really, you know, talk about feelings in a, uh, in a sure way. But I mean, I can give you the range. I can tell you that, you know, right. people sometimes will laugh For an hour, the infusion process is a series of six infusions over two to three weeks. Each infusion is about 50, 55 minutes long. So people come in, we make them comfortable in a recliner, can go completely flat, pillows, blankets, noise-canceling headphones, a sleep mask, relaxing music, monitoring the whole time by the nursing team, uh, also hospital-grade monitoring for their vitals, so pulse ox, EKG, blood pressure, Uh, Etc. And we make them comfortable, make sure they're safe when they have this experience. And ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic, but it also is more or less a psychedelic. So people have a kind of out of body experience that can be very healing for them. And so during all that, sometimes someone might laugh for an hour straight because maybe they haven't laughed in a long time or they've been, you know, that's been uh, something that's been suppressed uh, or they haven't been able to experience it. Or maybe they're just finding some uh, you know, kind of comedic irony of, of life as they're gaining some new insight or, or realizations about, you know, themselves or the, the patterns in their life. Um, someone could cry for an hour straight, you know, and just mourn, maybe mourn the loss of a loved one or uh, realize, you know, that they need to release this kind of pain that they've been holding and not able to really be in touch with. Um, and then everything in between, you know, someone might just be having more interesting realizations, maybe a journeying in their mind to different places, people, the past, future. So it's a really interesting thing and it's, it's very subjective and very um, dependent upon the person and even where they're at that day as far as what their experience is like. But I think the through line is that the experience really opens people up. It really increases their connection to themselves, their connection to other people, increases their sense of, uh, of compassion. It, it allows for people to get new insight, healing on past trauma. And it is valuable in and of itself, let alone the neurochemical effects that are going on in the brain uh, that are also part of the healing process.
0: And, and it, you... You talked about, and I'm glad that's where I was going with that question, the, the psychedelic effects of it. And um, you have mentioned that this has been around for a while, at least ketamine itself has been around for a while. Um, the the reaction that the brain has and the reaction that it, the, the actual, once it gets into the body and, and what it does to brain and, and things like that, is, is that something that we know about or are we constantly learning more and more about this drug and, and how it affects the brain how it affects the body or I mean, is it something we, we pretty much know and I, and I know you mentioned there's some you know new forms of it or, or you know drug companies are, are trying to get that profit margin i've mentioned that in this, this show all the time but do we know all of the effects or all of the benefits of it or are we learning new things every day
1: well, I don't think we know all the effects or all the benefits of anything. I don't think we know, know everything about anything. Uh, and this is no different. So we know a lot about ketamine and how it affects the brain. And there's a lot that we don't know. And there's a lot that we are learning for sure. I think if anyone sits on your show and tells you that we know everything about anything, you got to tell them, well, thanks for being here today. And that's the end of the show. Uh, that's just my opinion. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 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 very interesting. Uh Ketamine's been around since the 60s, so we have a lot of safety and efficacy data on it as an anesthetic. Over the last 20 years or so, it's been really heavily researched uh, for mental health. And so there's over 200 studies that have already been done or that are underway on on proving ketamine for mental health. Dozens of them have been peer-reviewed, so there's definitely no shortage of of data at this point. And then, of course, in the 10 years we've been in business, we've actually provided more than 30,000 infusions and we've been measuring patient progress uh, through those. So there's a lot of data out there, for sure. I mean, some of the processes that are occurring in the brain are, you know, in simple terms, ketamine helps to increase connections in the brain. You know, dendrite density and connectivity, the formation of new neural pathways, it's actually helping to cause a measurable and physical change in the brain. So it's not just treating the symptoms, it's not just putting a band-aid on things, it's actually enhancing brain function. It's helping you to form new positive habits, ways of thinking and ways of being. It's a disruptor to the negative thought loops and patterns that we get stuck in by kind of wiping the slate clean and giving people a fresh start. So it doesn't automatically make things great, but it gives you the opportunity to build a positive uh, Uh, Future, based on that kind of fresh start, if you will. It's almost like a lot of people talk about it as a reset. It really is kind of like a nice reset for the mind. And with the right support and the right care around it, uh, you can continue to develop a much more meaningful, happier and healthier life.
0: And I know uh, exactly what you're talking about because someone in those dark places They may know what they need or think they know what they need, but just the brain function, just the fogginess will not allow them to leave that place. So I know exactly what you're talking about in regard to that reset and, and getting that mind, uh, in a better state. So, um, but all this is great. Like I understand you appreciating ketamine, but I mean, you've gone past that you entrepreneur, see all that good stuff. You started the business. Like why get to this? What was the thing that said, you know, that told you, or, or was that, that, that kind of jump off point where you're like, you know what, I, I, I want to start this business. I want to get this up and running. And then 10 years later, you know, I know the, the, you know, you want to be on a 6am run podcast. I understand that's probably the Zenith of, of all this. I'm totally kidding. But what, <laughs> uh, what, what made you actually, you know, KCLA, I know you probably had something in your mind, but wh- where did this all start? How did it get how did it get here?
1: Well, I would say, you know, when I was twelve years old, uh, it' was probably around the time that it started because I took calls from kids in crisis. I volunteered for a teen to teen a suicide prevention line. And a couple days a week after school, I took calls from kids in crisis. So I went some training on how to how to support people in those situations, and I and I did some of that work, and that was my first more formal exposure. I also just had a lot of friends and family who struggled with mental health, addiction, uh, people who I lost uh, to suicide, both friends and family, and when I became aware of the work that was being done with ketamine and had the opportunity to start the clinic, uh, I thought it was just remarkable and incredibly inspiring exciting all the initial data was very very positive yet this was nowhere to be found and i was motivated to make it more widely available to people it was just super cool and then of course once we started doing it and we saw the effect the transformation in our early patients then there was like no no turning back i mean it was really nothing short of of a miracle Honestly, I mean I I don't mean to sound like I've, you know, drank the Kool-Aid or anything, but when you see people who have suffered from severe intractable depression for 10, 20, 30 years, who've tried everything, all the pills, all the treatments, and they're just, you know, miserable and feel like they're a lost cause and there's nothing that's gonna ever help them. And within a few days of starting treatment, or like a week, usually at most. They feel great. And they're saying, I haven't felt this good since I was a kid. or I literally haven't felt this good in 30 years. You just, I mean, there's, there's really few things that are, you know, comparable to the feeling that that can give you of being part of helping to provide that for people. And I've just been too close to too many people I, I love who have suffered at the hands of a healthcare system that isn't really about healthcare. And that's been motivating for me.
0: And that's, that's great to hear. And, and 12 years old doing that, um, were you, and I love asking these questions because I, uh, you know, I think more people need to hear things like this. But at, at that age, were you just an, an, an overly empathetic or naturally empathetic kid? Or, or is it something that because you saw what was around you, you just wanted to help because I'll be honest with you. A lot of people would not, most people would not do what you did as a 12 year old, either because they didn't know how to, they were scared or whatever reason they could think of. But at that age, for someone to do those things, like, I mean, I guess the easiest question is why? Like, why a 12 year old did you want to do that? Did you feel, I don't want to say feel comfortable, but You know, was it just one of those kids that I'm just going to jump in headfirst and help people out? Was it something that you thought was your calling? Like, what makes a 12 year old do that?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know really how to answer that except that I guess I, I mean, first of all, I always had a strong sense of justice, a strong sense of a desire to to give back, to help, to heal the world. I think just from a young age, I wanted to make uh, a meaningful difference in the world. I just was motivated by that. Maybe it's partly how I was raised, you know, nature, nurture, whatever. That's just the way that I, that I was. And I mean, literally from, you know, like five years old, six years old, like it's a kid, like I wanted to make a meaningful difference in the world. And, you know, as far as why mental health and at 12, yeah, I think, like I said, I mean, just some of the experiences that I had when I was younger, I, I kind of grew up quickly, um, challenges with my my friends, my family, things around me. I just, you know, I, I had to kind of, I think, grapple with some situations that maybe your average 12-year-old didn't. And I also just felt more comfortable. Um, I grew up in a house where I could ask questions about, you know, more adult topics So, and that was okay. And and we could actually like have conversations about that. So I think that also helped a little bit. I was more comfortable talking about things that other kids weren't or didn't know about. And I just was mature for my age. I mean, and I, I had my friends come to me to ask me questions about stuff that they didn't feel like they could ask adults or talk or other kids didn't get, or they couldn't go and ask adults in their life. And I could you know, have the answers or kind of get the answers. And so that was like just who I was. And so as far as being able to help other kids, I think that that's something I just kind of naturally was already doing. And so channeling it with a little bit of coaching training and doing it in a little bit more of a formal capacity just didn't seem like a big leap from how I was already living, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, it makes sense, and and believe me, it what it was a big leap. I know you're kind of playing it down, but regardless of like what you had going on, that was a big leap as a 12 year old, and and I appreciate everything about that. Um, and and, and now, you, you know, gotten older, matured, have uh, the ketamine business, and and done so many things. You know, what is your perspective on? Because we've talked again a lot about the benefits of. Your mental health and emotional health, things like that. But in regards to the connection between physical and mental fitness, physical and mental strength, like in your opinion, is there a connection between the two? And is that something that you work on also?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's an undeniable connection between the two. And I think most of what we do in life is, Mostly mental. I mean, ninety percent probably, maybe more. We're all capable of way, 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 way bigger things than any of us realize, you know, self included. And uh, that's physical feats, mental feats, you name it, everything, you know. And mindset really determines everything in our our lives. Really does, you know circumstances don't matter that much after a certain point, you know, and they've done studies with happiness and seen, you know, once you have your basic needs met, getting more material or, you know, financial wealth doesn't actually increase your happiness in a meaningful way. So if you have, you know, food, water, shelter, clothing, your basic needs are met. Now there's a huge difference between someone who doesn't even have their basic needs met, right? And someone who does, you get exponentially happier along that journey. But once the needs are met, you might see the tiniest, most incremental improvement, but not a lot, not anything close to what we all have been fed through marketing and advertising and you know, buying another bag, another pair of shoes, a new suit, bigger house, nicer car, then we'll, then we'll be happy, then we'll be happy, then we'll, extra zero in the bank, then we'll be happy. That's all a bunch of BS. These are the lies that we're all fed. The reality is happiness comes from within. And happiness is a mindset and having an attitude of gratitude. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is that it's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. And I think that's just so real. And I've seen it and felt it in my own life. And you see it in, you know, the patients we treat. We, we, we have seen some of the highest, highest level celebrities in, in the world. Uh, and we've seen some incredibly successful business people, you know, with tens and tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, houses all over the world. Good looking people, you know, have all, all the things that you would think from the outside looking in would mean that they would be happy. You know, money, material, looks, whatever, family, you know, wife, kids, whatever, whatever, you name it, all the things you think you might want or need in order to be happy, And they're miserable. So what is it? It's not just some like chemical, you know, imbalance in their brain. That's not that's not the explanation. You know, it comes down to uh, mindset and support and care. And sometimes people need medical intervention. But that's not the magic fix. You know, they have to really commit to creating a life that is structured around the gratitude that can help them to really continue to be happy.
0: And and so many times, well, not so many times, a couple times when I'm recording this show, I tell people just to stop and go back and listen to the last couple minutes. And that's exactly what I want people to do. Like that was absolutely a thousand percent correct and couldn't have been said any better. Um, and I, I appreciate you mentioning that. Um So, what does the next 10 years look like for you? What are you looking to accomplish? What can we expect out of the ketamine world? And, or or just you, I don't want to just bring it to ketamine because, you know what, before we even go there, I I do have something that's specific I want to answer because we, of course, we have the stigma on mental health. We have a lot of people fighting back against any type of drugs. Like, tell me this: what do people get wrong about psychedelics? Like, what? Like, a lot of people will hear that and they'll hear me say that or hear you say it and automatically shut it. No, I don't want my kids listening to this. Like, I don't. I don't want to be. What do people get wrong about that?
1: Yeah, I think people are are, are afraid of and intimidated by psychedelics, and there's a lot of propaganda and, and stuff about them that's just not true, and. Some of those things are that they're just drugs for, you know, druggies or hippies or bad people to use, that they're addictive, that they'll make you crazy, make you lose your mind, make, you know, get people out of control, get you hooked on other drugs, uh, you know, make an addict out of you, you know, they're just for losers. I mean, all kinds of judgments and not silly nonsense. The reality is nowadays, I'd say, I don't want to say most, but I would say a huge, huge portion of some of the most influential, highest performers in the world are using psychedelics in one way or another, whether that's microdosing with psilocybin or having actual ketamine infusions or, you know, experimenting with LSD or ayahuasca or DMT or iboga, ibogaine. I mean, there's a lot going on in the scientific world right now with research and real data proving that these are not just drugs for hippies, but they actually can promote real meaningful healing and, and change for people. And MDMA uh, as well, you know, that's Mali, is it's called on the street, or Active Ingredient in Ecstasy. I mean, that's about to be FDA approved for the treatment of, of PTSD, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Very close to FDA approval probably this year as a legitimate medical treatment. That's a huge deal. And the results from the studies that they're getting are mind-boggling. I mean like people having just one or two treatments with this drug who have severe PTSD having zero symptoms of PTSD six months later, I mean six months and they take tests and they don't even qualify as having PTSD anymore. It's just like hard to believe there's nothing like that. There's nothing that exists that's even remotely close to that. So people really need to wake up and educate themselves a little bit and keep an open mind And understand that this narrative that we've been fed by by the establishment of the drugs that they control and they profit from being the best drugs is not the whole truth and i think these drugs have been demonized and there's been misinformation and disinformation around them for so long because they're incredibly powerful they're disruptive connectors and they challenge the status quo they threaten control they threaten profit, they threaten othering, and divide. And if you have something that can actually cause meaningful healing and bring people together, well, that's a problem for some of the people at the top. That's not in their interests.
0: It's very unfortunate, uh, but at the same time, very true. Um, so, and, and I appreciate you you going you, you talking about that. So, again, what's next? What's the next 10 years like what's the next <laughs> six months like what is what is next what are you working on now? what do you hope to accomplish?
1: Yeah so you know after 10 years of pioneering ketamine we added some additional services we added conventional medication management uh, just you know management of people's uh, prescriptions general psychiatry because we found that was a need that our patients had so we offer that in-house now and we can take insurance for it. we uh, are accepting 10 of the largest insurance networks in California. You can see patients through video visits throughout California. And as far as uh, what's next, we're just in the process of launching a treatment called uh, TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is the magnetic frequency, magnetic waves to stimulate parts of the brain to treat uh, depression and OCD. And there's some off-label protocols for anxiety and other conditions. That's an exciting in-office procedure. It's quick, non-invasive, very, very low risk, uh, works very well for a lot of people. That's something we're just launching now in the next week or so, and we're excited to bring that to more people. That's also covered by insurance. So uh, that's something that we want people to be aware of. Um, after we kind of you know, smooth out the the rollout of that new service, we'll be looking at other treatments that we can add to just provide more uh, comprehensive care to people, increase access to care. And we're excited to incorporate MDMA and other psychedelics when they are available uh, legally in the United States and continue to just innovate in, in new evidence-based treatments for mental health.
0: And I love hearing all of that because, you know, a lot of times what I'm also hearing is that we're, we're offering people um options and offer people control over their own health care and control over their own choices. And, and, um, and I, I love hearing about that. So if people want to learn more about you, learn more about what you're doing and the clinic, how do they do that?
1: Yeah, our website has a lot of great information. It's ketamineclinics.com and I'll spell it. It's K-E-T-A-M-I-N-E. C-L-I-N-I-C-S.com. A lot of good info there. And they can fill out a form on there or book a meeting or call us at 310-270-0625. All inquiries are confidential. It's free. We provide free consultations uh, with our our care coordinators and also with our clinical team. So there's really no reason not to just reach out and ask some questions, check out the website, see if it's something that uh, you might benefit from, or if there's any way that we can help.
0: That's great to know, and and unless you were you know living under a rock the last few years, you would know that California usually is the first to do a lot of these things um, like this. Is ketamine available in every state, or is it something that people ha- some people have to travel for?
1: Yeah, it's not available in every state. The treatment has become much more popular than it was when we started, and there are options uh, in many states. I would just say that people need to be really careful about where they go, because there's some, uh, there's some less lower quality options out there. And it's important to get this care from a really reputable place. You know, someone, a provider or, or, or practice that's been doing it a lot, that's good at it, that understands the nuances, has the knowledge and experience to do it correctly keeping patients safe and comfortable, you know, someone with lots of good reviews online from patients, someone who is caring and compassionate, really listens to you, doesn't pressure you, doesn't try to upsell you, lock you in to any kind of promotions, deals, discounts, or any other kind of, you know, sales tactics that feel weird. Um, and that just gives you accurate and consistent information and is in a is in a nice area, you know, in a nice office that's clean and quiet and safe for you and not just some you know, small strip mall in between a check cashing place and a liquor store that's not not really where you want to go for this kind of a
0: treatment, you know. Uh probably good for some, you know, uh um... Good food, It'll probably get the mom and dad. Yeah, mom and pop spots and, and yeah, the, you get some great Chinese walk. or Indian food that way. Or
1: you can pick up your pack of smokes if you're still fool enough, foolish enough to have that habit. But uh, don't go get your mental health treatment there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's great, and and finally, I, and I, I'm not trying to put you into politics or anything like that. But is the reason it's not in more states? Is it is it just lack of education and the people who like, you know, make the laws and, and create the laws? Or is this something that, like you mentioned before, is not really a big moneymaker maker? Or lobbyists involved? Like, why is this not in every state? And if you can't answer, I, I totally understand. I'm not trying to put you no, in politics. I'm, yeah, I think
1: there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, first of all, you know, there's not a lot of Mental health professionals in some areas the demand for mental health services really exceeds the supply especially of psychiatrists, but even other General practitioners or you know other providers that are taking care of mental health patients Because actually the majority of antidepressants are actually written those scripts are written by just internists or family You know family medicine docs um, not psychiatrists, but in any event there are certain more rural areas or less populated areas where there, there's just not good mental health care, or even sometimes just not not a lot of good options. I should say, not very many options for healthcare in general. The um, options might be great, but they're just inundated, right? And so that's one one reason, and. It is an out-of-pocket cost procedure, so there may be areas that um, providers don't go because they just, either the population is too small or they feel like there's not enough people there who are going to you know, be willing or able to pay for the treatment. Uh, I think definitely laws and regulations can be at play, but the fact is ketamine is actually a safe FDA-approved medicine. It can be used off-label. Different laws in different places, but actually California and New York have among the strictest laws. So... I don't think there's really any state that I know of that would be even come close other than those two in terms of the regulations being a hurdle for people. So I think it's really more the other number of providers living in in these areas and the economics of those areas.
0: Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I, I'm almost positive my listeners have learned a lot because I personally have learned a lot. So thank you for the education. I appreciate you doing what you do. And like I tell people all the time, you can stop the show right now and head over to the show notes to get a link to the website. Sam, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. You take care of yourself and good luck on future endeavors.
1: Yeah, Mark, it was a pleasure. Thank you.